This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, this is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large with Mississippi Today. Robert St. John, well, he's a restaurateur, a chef, a columnist, an author, and has spent almost four decades in the restaurant business. Today, we're going to catch up with him to see how he's adjusted to the pandemic. We'll also welcome him to the show here in just a second. Uh, of course, we've got to catch up with Michelle on the weekly roundup. A lot of things are going on around the world right now. I think a lot of people are sitting on the edge of their seats because we don't know if there's even going to be a college football season this year. That's kind of where we're starting off on Monday. 2020 never ever slows down when it throws stuff at us and apparently this is the latest but michelle first of all how are you doing i'm doing fine uh marshall it's monday and it is really monday oh yes it is the the printer jammed um yeah all kinds of good stuff today but you know what the show goes on it really does (laughs) uh it's been a lot going on i wanted to reiterate what we talked about last friday virtual learning hosting sites are needed throughout the state Parents um, have to work, and students will be going back to school virtually or hybrid or whatever style their district decides, but a lot of student schools will not be open for face-to-face learning. So they cannot quit their job, but they need somewhere where their kids can go. Virtual learning sites, we have a few in the Jackson metro area, but I'm sure people around the state are looking for some. So if you know of a hosting virtual learning hosting site, email me at michelle.mcadoo at mpbonline.com. Dot org. That's michelle.mcadoo at mpbonline.org. And we'll get those virtual learning hosting sites posted around the state. Um, I actually have a few right now that I can say. Uh, uh, Judah School of Performing Arts will be hosting a virtual learning assistance center this semester. Uh, you can go on our website on our podcast at Mississippi Education Connection to look at that link. Also, there is another hosting, virtual learning hosting site, MBA um, in Jackson will be hosting a site as well. And these sites, um, they do have a come with a cost, but your children will be safe. They bring their own tablets or computers and they get assistance with all of their schoolwork. Uh, they also, some of them are providing lunch, some are not. But just look at that if you are in need of a virtual learning hosting site for your child this semester. That's a great idea. In fact, I've actually heard of some parents that are kind of pooling the resources and are hiring retired teachers to help them get through this too. It's amazing how innovation is happening on the fly. You know, I was just thinking about over the weekend, we need to check back with our guests from about what, two or three weeks ago and see how they've managed to uh, survive the opening of their classes and schools too, to see how that's going. But you saw over the weekend, they showed the picture of the school in Georgia where they were the hallway. They had all the kids crammed in there and none of the kids were wearing masks and everything. And the kid who took the picture got suspended, but then they said, Oh no, we're embarrassed to never mind. You're not suspended. But now there's a COVID outbreak and they are closed today and tomorrow to, to fumigate the school and clean it out. So my, my heart, is literally with all the educators to try to figure out how to get navigate this mess because it's like so difficult because you just touched on a huge problem because parents have to work 
but then also when the kids all get together, then you get to spread. So it's, it's just nuts. And we're also dealing with college football and we've got Robert St. John is actually on the line a little bit early. Robert, how are you, my friend? Hey, Marshall. How are you, buddy? Doing well, doing well. I uh, just wanted to say my heart goes out to you. I know that was a very emotional week closing down the purple parrot. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and I know it's, you know, it's one of those things that life brings you change and it's going to end up being a new restaurant and everything's going to be great in the long run, but I know it's been very emotional for you and wanted to get you on today to talk about all that. But one, one thing I want you to touch on right now is I, I, I saw the report from sports illustrated talking about how there may not be a college football season this fall. And here yeah. you are right there in the hub of Hattiesburg, no pun intended. Um, that's a big part of, of Hattiesburg's economy in the fall. And I mean, it's obviously going to affect what you do for, for a living. What yeah. are some of your thoughts on that? Well, you know, um, I hesitate to, to make any comment on medical issues or whatever, but I saw uh, where uh, Nell Cohen yesterday, uh, John Cohen, the athletic director of Mississippi State, uh, his wife uh, retweeted uh, something from Peter Burns from ESPN, which was really, I mean, it was is really well thought of, thought out, uh, and it talked about you know I think most kids, most of these kids want to play, and probably one of the safest places for them at this point is on a college campus with everything that colleges are doing to at least uh, athletic departments are doing to ensure health and safety of those players. I mean they're way more, uh, you know, uh, monitored and protected and tested uh, on a daily basis than just the general public. And uh, so I would uh, I would tell people to go find Peter Burns' Twitter feed from yesterday about mid-afternoon, and uh, he made a lot of salient points on, uh, you know, maybe why uh, they should play. And, uh, you know, nobody's making anybody play. If uh, if people want to bail and and there are players that don't want to play, I think they've already told those players they would honor their scholarship. Now, whether anybody's in the stands when they play and it's like baseball, I would I would really uh, <laughs> yeah, think, I, no, I uh, that's probably I not going to happen. One of the teams used to cut out for the weekends at Bernie from weekends at Bernie. I saw that. I saw so that. That's where my <laughs> mind went when you said that. Sorry, that's just yeah. how I roll. But you know, I think you know I'm not the guy to. I'm a, I'm a football fan, and I surely hope they play, and I hope it's safe, and, and I hope nobody gets sick. But the hardest group, I would think, right now, I don't have any scientific facts, to, but other than observation and that I hire a bunch of them, but the, the hardest group to kind of get to follow these rules right now are kids in their teens and 20s. You know, and if you'll remember when we were that age, we felt pretty pretty bulletproof and and so, uh, you know, the one thing I would see that Burns made a point on is that those guys are so monitored now, athletes in, in those programs. And so I don't know. I, I sure hope we have it, but I hope it's, uh, hope it's safe and, and, and they do the right thing. I think if they – you're right. I think if they can create something like what the NBA has and create a bubble around them. The problems that yeah. they've had so far, like, for instance, I think Clemson had this problem. You get one or two kids might go out to the bars. LSU, I think, had a similar type issue. And that's yeah. when they pick it up, and then they come back. And, of course, you're working out and so forth. So, I mean, you're right. They do monitor them a lot. And, I mean, there is potential of being able to do it and creating an atmosphere that would probably be the safest thing for them possibly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, with – 
with things like weight being a comorbidity and things like that, I mean, some of the football players are probably a little bit more at risk than, than your average 20 something year old kid. But yeah, I think I, I saw they, something where I there were a we bunch of it. Alabama players that were trying to get it. You yeah, know, I oh, think yeah. they were, where they were having a party and everybody was, was trying to get this stuff, which is crazy to me. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of foolishness there, but, um, you know, yeah, let's go lick a doorknob. You know, it's like hey, that's a, it'd be really uh, smart a little bit. But you're right. I remember being that age too, and I know you were the same way. It's like nothing's gonna nothing's gonna affect us. The problem is you bring it home to grandma, or you bring it home to mom right. or dad, and then it gets to be a problem, or it could be a problem for you a little bit. So, are you guys healthy and happy and doing okay? Everybody's good. Uh, my family, you know, I'm uh, there's there's silver lining in all of this, and uh, one of the ones is uh, my son. Back in March, you know, came home from college, and my daughter uh, had uh, she was home as well. So the four of us were together uh, for the first time in about four or five years, you know, for an extended period of time, which was really nice. He'll go back to school, I think, uh, Wednesday. So we've had, uh, you know, we've had several months where we were together, and part of that was a pretty hardcore lockdown for a couple of months, and so we had quality time. Nobody strangled anybody else uh we you know we cooked uh every night we had theme nights and you know we'd have taco night things like that and uh you know everybody took a turn cooking for a week or two and that was fun so um you know if there's a silver lining in any of this it would be that Uh, my main concern beyond my family was you know pretty instant i mean before when it when i saw it coming and and you knew what was about to happen uh, at the, around the first of March. I, I you know I went and talked to my bankers and said, hey, you know, this looks like it's coming. We're we're going to need some help moving forward on different things like that. And then I checked on with my management team. We have 300 employees, uh, New South Restaurant Group, which at the time ran six restaurants and two bars, 300 employees, and I had all of my managers at that time. Uh, divide up their team members so we would be able to stay in contact, make sure everybody was healthy, everybody's family was healthy. Uh, if anybody needed help or assistance, we could uh, take care of that. And then I did a mass filing unemployment uh, for for everybody, and, and I worked through the unemployment office, and we just went ahead and filed for everybody to make sure everybody would get taken care of. And then the restaurants were in different states of opened or closed uh, during that period. Uh, Tabella, our Italian restaurant, never closed. Uh, we did curbside through the whole thing. Uh, Crescent City Grill, which is kind of our our high-volume uh, concept, it, there were a couple of weeks there we did. Uh, we, we had to shut the whole thing down. Ed's Burger joined the same way. Midtowner, which is our uh, breakfast lunch place, we, it was shut for four months. We just reopened it a couple of weeks. It'll be two weeks ago tomorrow. Well, why was so, that? Why, why did I mean, I understand the Purple Parrot because I can understand fine yeah. dining would take a hard right. hit. But why would the breakfast one take such okay. a hit, too? So Midtowner is located directly across the campus from University of Southern Mississippi. Gotcha. Uh, and, and a couple of blocks away from Hattiesburg Clinic and Forest General Hospital. So the three largest employers, uh, not only in town but in the region, were pretty much shut. So Southern, that's 15,000 people across the street who weren't yeah. there and literally across the street. And then Forest General, you know, was limited in what they were doing. And, and people really, if you had people in there, you couldn't even go visit. And so, you know, the traffic, the, the hotel next to us, 
uh, shuttered its doors uh, for a couple of months. And it just it just didn't make sense in that concept. We treated everyone uh, a little differently. It warmed my heart, though, because even uh, when we brought, even though Crest City Grill only shut down for a couple of weeks, when we reopened, even though, I mean, I have somebody there who's been with us since since day one, 32 years ago, and probably average tenure of my kitchen crew is around 20 years at lunch. And we still, you know, kind of stumbled a little bit. It took us a few shifts to kind of get back in a groove or whatever. And, and so Midtown are being closed for four months. I was really worried about that. I was like, oh, man, that's going to – and I'm going to tell you, we had everybody come back. We didn't. We didn't lose a single person. Everybody was healthy. Nobody got sick during the thing. You know, we we took care of, of all that. Everybody came back, and I'm telling you, first meal of the first shift, they, it was like they had never uh, never stopped cooking. It was it was uh, it was good. So I had had breakfast. I, actually, I have breakfast in there every day. So if I'm in town, oh, I'm in there. We're talking with uh, restaurateur, chef, columnist, author, and friend of the show, Robert St. John. We're going to take our first break. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. And if you'd like to give us a call, you're always welcome to do that. It's 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Stay tuned. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Our guest today, he's spent almost four decades in the restaurant business. He's a restaurateur, chef, columnist, and author, and a friend. Let's welcome back to the show. we got Robert St. John's with us. Robert, you were talking a little bit, of course, about your restaurants. And, and you know, I mean, you've got Crescent City Grill, the Mahogany Bar, the Midtowner, Tabella, Ed's Burger Joint, which is fantastic. And you are going to bring one of those up to Jackson eventually, whenever the, I guess, the world clears up a little bit. Midtown That's Donut, right. uh, the Purple Parrot. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, branch, uh, cocktail branch, bar, right. yeah, yeah. Branch. branch and the parrot yeah. have closed though. Those two, uh, have yeah. closed together. So, so you that, close uh, on that in a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, I know that was, we'll talk about the reasons and everything on that in just a second. Yeah. Uh, I do notice that you sent out on Facebook, uh, the cover of the book that I illustrated for you. I tell <laughs> people that I, I was kind of like, um, the, the poor man's Wyatt waters for one book. Uh, I, you know, I filled in for Wyatt, and so I illustrated your Nobody's Poet, which was a fantastic book. It's a yeah. collection of your columns, which, folks, if you haven't read Robert's columns, he's a, he's a fa- as good a writer as he is a chef and business guy. He's really a good writer. Um, and I see that you're still complaining about how I did your caricature, but I was looking <laughs> at your caricature, 
and I realized how long ago that was because you yeah. don't look like that anymore, and I, no, I definitely I don't. don't look like when I drew it. So. I grew into uh, my caricature and then passed it. So uh, <laughs> for those uh, that don't know how Marshall works, uh, I used to hear stories about, I think it was Mike Moore when he was attorney general, used to complain to Marshall because he made his head too big or whatever. And then after he would complain, his head got even bigger. And so uh, the first, uh, uh, it was it was my early columns, and, and, and Marshall had me send a batch of those columns in, and he illustrated them. And I kind of looked at him and said, man, I'm not – not sure I'm quite that uh, big or that bald or whatever. And then the next batch came back and I was bigger and balder. And so I just shut my mouth uh, after that and didn't, I, didn't say anything. That was, that was fun to work with. At the time, Wyatt and I had only done one book and we weren't even sure we would, you know, we had never even talked about doing another book at that time. I had done um, uh, a, a book called Deep South Staples and then uh, did the uh, – this book with you, which was a joy, and we got to travel around the state, and yeah, so you know, at the time, Wyden had done, Wyden and I had done one book, but never even planned on doing another one uh, at that time. Well, that it, turned out. I mean, not only did you get a fantastic partner on on your books, but you got a really good friend out of Wyatt, and that that has been that turned out to be one of the biggest blessings ever. But I will say this about our book tour together: I gained thirty yeah. pounds on that thing because you were dragging <laughs> me to the best restaurants around. I mean, one minute, it, there were two things I think really came for that. Number one, I now know where some of the best restaurants are, and they may right. even be in gas stations. I mean, you were you you yeah. just know where to take people. But the other thing was we went to the coast like literally two weeks before Katrina hit or like right before Katrina hit, maybe a week. Right. And, and yeah. it was so great to have the memory of being able to see the coast and all of its glory before it was destroyed. And, and I That's will right. cherish that trip for the rest of my life. Yeah, that was, uh, we had fun on that tour and we did eat a lot, but I, it's pretty much a <laughs> standard operating procedure for me. And, uh, I know. <laughs> I love, uh, I love Morgan Freeman said it best. He, you know, when, when somebody asked him one time, you know, you could live anywhere in the world. Why do you live in Mississippi? He said, uh, I live in Mississippi because I could live anywhere in the world. And then he followed it up with, hell, I'd live here for the food alone. So yeah. we're we're blessed yeah. to live in in a in a in an area of the country that has very diverse food from the coast to the delta and all and all over everything in between. We have Sue from Belmont who's on the line and has a question for Robert. Hey Sue, welcome to the show. Hi, how are y'all this morning? Hey. I'd like to ask Robert. Uh, first of all, I'd like to make a comment. I used to go to the Purple Parrot just to get the crab cakes because they were so good. Oh well, thank you. Delicious, and then. Um, you used to write a lot in the paper. I, you still write for the paper. When I got back from being out of state, uh, I noticed that uh, uh, it, Gannett had stopped publication of Hasbro American, and, and uh, another company has it now. So I didn't know if you still wrote for the newspaper or not. Yeah, I uh, in your part of the world, uh, Mac McAnally's hometown, by the way, Marshall and I are – are fan uh, huge fans of his, but yeah, in your part of the world, I'm in the Tupelo paper on Sundays. But uh, if you don't get that or, or anything, you can go to robertstjohn.com, r o b e r t s t j o h n dot com, and uh, the, a little window will pop up. If you put your email in there, then I'll send it to you. Uh, I've been writing that column for I think 22 years now. I've never missed a week. 52 you, weeks uh, a year. Right quick. 
Uh, you used to write a lot about eating lamb, and I, I really don't know any Southerners that eat lamb, and yeah. so uh, that was always uh, uh, surprising to me. It, it, you made it sound so good, but <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother, we would eat uh, after church on Sundays. Uh, my grandmother, who was one of the biggest influences uh, in many ways in my life, not only culinary ways, but just uh, a good Christian lady and a, and a true Southern uh, belle. Um, we had uh, lunch after church at her house uh, four times a month, and uh, once uh, once it would be uh, turkey and we would have Thanksgiving once a month, where you know turkey and dressing and and all the stuff, and then we would have roast beef uh, one one Sunday, and then we she would do leg of lamb. And when I was a kid, you know, I wouldn't. I was one of those uh, contempt prior to investigation kind of things. I wouldn't eat lamb, and they they told me it was roast beef for about two <laughs> years, and I ate it and loved it. And then I grew to love. So so leg of lamb was probably as a kid the most exotic thing I ate, and I uh, have such great memories. She made great leg of lamb. She was a great cook, good hostess. Uh, my other grandmother uh, who moved. Uh, they they moved here uh, in like 1970. I guess I was about nine. Um, she would do shrimp curry, and that was the other m- more exotic thing I would eat uh, back then. But yeah, I loved uh, leg of lamb. Still love leg of lamb. You had some adventurous grandmas, huh? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you for calling in. It's great Bye. to talk to you. You know, it's amazing, Robert. How food is so tied to memories, and it's tied to family and. I mean, you talk about, was it the four F's or the five F's? So you talk five about F's. That. Faith, yeah. faith, family, friends, food, and fun. Exactly. Uh, they're yeah. just so tied in together. And, you know, I'm the same way. I can just sit there and name off. When you mention certain foods, I think of my grandparents or I think of my mom and, and stuff yeah. like that. Talk about when you were growing up. I mean, you lost your dad. You were incredibly young. Your mom is yeah. just a rock star. Uh, you yeah. and I both share the fact that we both have art teacher moms. You're right. raised boys and, and survived it and, and talk about growing up and how that kind of prepared you for some of the things that we're dealing with today yeah so my dad died uh, when I, I was six years old uh saint patrick's day 1968 and um i have an older brother who was four years older but you know the 68 was a it was that kind of year so my dad died and like two weeks later martin luther king was assassinated and about two months after that Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, and then you had the riots in Chicago at the convention. And so, I, 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 as a kid, I was oblivious to most of it, you know. And and but I just think about her as a single mom in in the late '60s with all of this turmoil going on. And um, she was an art teacher. She raised my brother and me up uh, on an art teacher salary. And uh, you know, I had a uh, I look back and just you know had a blessed childhood. I didn't know any different about not having a dad, but a lot of the, the men in the neighborhood kind of took me under their wing <laughs> and disciplined me some. Uh, I was uh, My brother was kind of the, the golden child, and I was the black sheep, and so it took, uh, it took a little while before I kind of straightened out. But, um, you know, I had, uh, had a great childhood. My mom did a great job. We, uh, she, you know, she was faced with raising these two boys, and knew she she couldn't hunt and she couldn't play football with us in the backyard but she could fi- she figured she could learn how to fish 
And so she bought a little fish camp down on the Gulf Coast. Uh, I'm in Hattiesburg. It's about an hour, it took us about an hour and ten minutes to drive there. Uh, there it was in, in Van Cleve, Mississippi, uh, up the uh, up the river from Pascula River. And there was a, a lot of old Hattiesburg uh, families kind of had camps around this all this area. And I loved it. It was it was just a blessed childhood. It wasn't anything fancy. I mean, we had a kind of a trailer off the water, but I, so I spent my childhood summers down there, and that's kind of where my love of of seafood came. And uh, you know, I learned how to water ski and fish and crab and shrimp, and ate my first raw oyster at Bear Sevs on the coast. And so I, you know, I really had a blessed childhood that had nothing to do with uh, you know financial resources whatsoever. We didn't. I mean, you know, I started working full-time uh when i was 15 uh just is that was that when you got into had the to work business? i yeah. got into radio <laughs> i was a disc jockey uh full-time uh starting at 15 uh on the air uh and so when i went off to college uh that's kind of what i majored in because i really didn't know anything else and um, i mainly just kind of had a good time and 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 flunked out of college after a couple of years went back home and it's one of those things there have been three or four times in my life where the absolute what i thought was the worst thing that could happen flunking out of college was one but i came home and started working in a restaurant and it was one of those from the first shift of the first day i, I just fell in love and i knew that's not not that's what i wanted to do but that's what i'm supposed to do and so um, I ended up going back to school and got a degree at uh, Southern Miss here in town. But um, yeah, so you know, I, I started out in radio. I love, I love, uh, I love the radio business. I tell you what, and there's nobody that's got any larger catalog of music than you do. In fact, you would introduce <laughs> me to bands all the time. And and of course, I mean, I've always loved Mac McAnally, but I really love Mac McAnally after you gave me you gave me a bootleg from Harbor Docks where you yeah. used to work down in Destin. That's and right. I think that's one of my treasures. Thank you for that. Same to, same to me. Mac's not happy with it. I think he he thinks he's out of tune and stuff like that, but <laughs> he's he's really not. It's a it's a great great concert and the interview you did with him in june um was really good i was just watching that the other day and uh good yeah, job Mac there is truly one of the most one of the most modest human beings on the planet though and for no for really no reason he should not be modest at all in fact he should be the most insufferable person on the planet but he's yeah. not because he's just mac and 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 yeah. so hey look we're going to take a quick break right now when we get back we're okay. going to continue our conversation with robert st john if you have any questions or comments for him and you probably do we'd love to hear from you give us a call at 877 mpb ring that's 877-672-7464 this is Now You're Talking on MPP Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Easy for me to say. Happy Monday uh, from, of course, Mississippi today. Today we've been having a conversation with our friend Robert St. John. He's a restaurateur, an author, a business guy. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments or would like to just join in on the conversation, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Robert, I, I tell you. You and Dean Owen started the Purple Parrot back, oh gosh, what, 32 years ago. I think it's a great story on how you just suddenly decided that you wanted to be your own boss, and you two pitched in a little bit of money and, and got things off the ground. How did that get started? Yeah, so as soon as I started working in a restaurant, I thought, this is this is I want to open a restaurant. I love this. I love everything about it. And so uh, I was I was a little bit of a wild child back then. I straightened my life out and uh, went back to school, got a degree, waited tables. You know, took 18 hours, 21 hours, worked full time. Just I was I was focused with tunnel vision to open a restaurant. Um, and so I you know I, I didn't I had worked front of the house. That was it. I had no money as a negative net worth. I was living rent-free in a one-room garage apartment by my grandmother's house. had no money um, trying to put myself through school. And so I sold a piece of land. It's really all I had. Uh, It's a piece of land my grandfather had left me in a will. I'd never even really been on the land. $25,000 was what I got, and that was my stake in opening the uh, Purple Parrot. we opened December 27th of 1987. I brought a chef up from Destin. I had been working, uh, waiting tables down there, and this guy, uh, Dean and I brought this guy up. He was a legend down there. He was a legend for two reasons. One, he was he was a great cook, and everybody loved his food. Number two, he was like a notorious party animal, and this guy would start drinking, uh, you know, on a uh, Sunday afternoon, and they'd find him, you know, three days later in Tampa or something, and so... <laughs> We brought him up here and said, look, you know, there's a condition. You just cannot drink. Just whatever you do, you can't drink. You know, I, I, I didn't have anything, but what I had, I was risking to open this restaurant. And my mother uh, had already just, you know, cried and begged me not to, to open it. She said, I'm going to ruin the family name and all this stuff. I said, Mom, family name wasn't that great to start with. It's no big deal. So, <laughs> I opened, uh, got, we opened, he, he developed the recipes and didn't drink, and uh, I hired all my buddies who were servers, and uh, December 27th, 1987, we had a soft opening, and uh, I learned my first business lesson that night, and that is lock the beer cooler, because this guy drank a case of beer out of the walk-in, so we fired our chef uh, opening night. And uh, night number two, I mean, you know who was back there? It was me. And again, like I said earlier, those things that happen in your life that seem like the absolute worst thing. Here it was. I had risked all I had, which was next to nothing, to open this restaurant, and we just fired our chef on the opening night. Uh, so I had to get back there. And, and the extent of my cooking uh, experience at that time was I had asked for and received an easy bake oven for Christmas uh, when I was six years old. <laughs> And that was it. But it, and so it was great. It forced me to get back in the kitchen. I spent 90 hours a week the next four years uh, doing that. And now that Easy Bake Oven is in the Max Museum in Meridian. So it's kind of cool. I, I was just thinking about that, Robert. I don't think an Easy Bake Oven would work with an LED light bulb, would it? <laughs> no. I don't, can't generate heat. A 100-watt light bulb, you, you could bake a cake and make a pizza with a 100-watt with a light bulb back then. Uh, definitely on that. You know, of course – 
it turned out to be a huge success. I mean, the average, I guess the average age of a, or lifespan of a restaurant is about five years. And usually 90% of them fail within the first year. And you, like I said, 32 years is a heck of a run. Yeah. And it spawns so many other successes and a few failures along the way, too. And the one thing I like about you, and I think uh, one of the reasons I admire you so much is because you are so incredibly resilient. You don't take losses as the end of the world. You take them as learning experiences. Um, it, just We'll get you a touch on that. We do actually have a caller. I'm going to jump to him okay. real quick. Chico is from Oxford. Chico, welcome to the show. What's your comment for Robert? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that um, the Tupelo Daily Journal on Sunday costs $2. Right. And I go to Enville Grocery in Enville, Mississippi, where they have a wonderful chicken and egg biscuit. And I get that biscuit, and I get that Tupelo Daily Journal, and Robert St. John's column is worth the price of admission. Oh, man. Well, that, weekend, that makes me weekend, feel good. It never fails to be a fine piece of writing. That section of the Daily Journal is, is really very good. they got some great writers, Brad Locke, Riley right. Henning, and the one and only Felder. And uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Robert St. John contributes a lot to Mississippi. Thank you. You make me feel good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Right that. on, y'all. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the call. And I think that right there probably helps you become very resilient when you hear stuff like that. That, that yeah. was a very kind comment, but it's very true. I mean, you and you have given back a lot, too. I mean, not only – and I, I was trying to think when it really hit for you. I think about the time you started Extra Table, it seemed like everything really took off. And I just you seem to have incorporated being giving into your business plan. Tell us a little bit about Extra Table and how that got started. Yeah, so Extra Table, uh, I think we're 11 years old now. It just had, it started with a simple that, phone call. I, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay I thought I heard some. Um, it started with a simple phone call, really, that um, – you know, most of the things in my life are things I didn't plan. I was just kind of open to opportunity or whatever. And there was a uh, place called the Edward Street Fellowship Center here in Hattiesburg's a Mission Pantry. They had uh, they were feeding about 800 families a month. They had completely run out of food. Uh, they called me and said, "Can you help?" And and I said, "Sure." And so I figured the quickest, best, easiest way to help is put together a food order. Uh, call Cisco, uh, the food service distributor that I work with, and put the order together and just have them drop ship that straight to uh, the agency. And and that's how the idea started. And, uh, you know, I started thinking, what if every business, every home had an extra table uh, in Mississippi that could feed those in need? And I was a little skeptical there was even a need at all, I was, to be honest with you. And then I went on a kind of a fact-finding mission on my own to these different – I came to Stupot and Jackson and other – and I learned pretty quick there's a huge need. Um, and so what I also learned is that most of the – a lot of those places at the time – were living off canned food drives, and so there was a lot of unhealthy food. So Mississippi at the time was number one in food insecurity. We were number one in obesity. I had a problem with that. I'm like, well, you know, somebody's eating something somewhere. And on that fact-finding mission, I learned that, well, those two always go together because if you don't have enough money to lead a proper diet, then you're basically living out of a convenience store and eating the absolute cheapest food you can get, which is the most unhealthy food there is. And so... I planted uh, the extra table flag on two principles. The two founding principles were, number one, 100% of the money we raise for food will go to food. 
no administrative costs, no travel, no nothing. If we raise money for food, 100% of that money is going to go to food. We'll raise the you know salaries and travel and all that stuff separately, which we do. And number two, it's going to be healthy food, low-fat proteins, low-sugar fruits, healthy grains. And, uh, and, and so we now ship to over 40 agencies from the top of the state to the bottom all along the coast. I think we have five agencies on the Gulf Coast. Uh, it's all healthy food. Uh, we just shipped in the last eight weeks with a partnership through Borden over 500,000 gallons of milk to our agencies and, and to uh, pick up. That's almost three glasses of milk for every citizen in the state and more than almost 10 glasses for everybody who's in need like that. So it's just it's just one example. So it's really, really grown. There's a lady named Martha Allen who runs Extra Table. She's the executive director, and she is dynamic. She is a force of nature. Uh, we brought her in about two and a half years ago. They work. I mean, we count paper clips at this charity. They work out of a little barred corner of my office. We, we, we now have two people. We run a statewide charity with two but for a year and a half. It was just Martha, and we have an intern. And uh, those ladies uh, are working day and night to, to help Mississippians in need, and there's a huge need. I mean, they, it, it was already substantial before this crisis, and then, you know, when so many people were out of jobs, we had people – at our agencies who used to volunteer and help feed people come in, and they were clients all of a sudden. And uh, wow. you used to see food lines from the Depression. You know, there, there are a lot of those classic photographs you see from the Depression, and, and, and we ended up seeing a lot of that uh, in April. So uh, Extra Table is uh, something that, like I said, you know, the restaurant business, it seems like everything kind of came together in my life that, you know, that led to – to that and and what I think about is you know do do I want my kids to think I was the guy that fed people filet mignon or do I want my kids to know that I was the guy that fed people canned tuna and the canned tuna is the is the is the answer every time Robert you know obviously the restaurant business is is struggling right now and um and you you're right there on ground zero you know what that's about you've been working a little bit with with um Congress trying to help work on a, I mean, you've been help, helping with a bill that would help save the restaurant business. What is it going to take? I mean, obviously it's like, I mean, how can we survive until a vaccine comes along or some way that we can learn to live better with this virus? What's it going to take? So, so here's the thing, Marshall, that people don't understand about the restaurant business and remind me to come back to the, to the restaurants act that I've been working on with Senator Wicker, but sure. A lot of times people don't uh, understand restaurants are, are such a unique uh, business model. And, you know, we were the first to close and will be the last to reopen uh, restaurants, across, independent restaurants. Now, this is not chain or fast food. Independent restaurants in America employ 10 million people. You got another five million jobs of people who are fishermen on the coast or farmers in the Delta. And and so it's four percent of the GDP and and the second largest industry in the entire country, in in uh, comparison the airline industry, so independent restaurants ten million people the airline industry seven hundred thousand, so the business model is so different if you own a boutique or a, a sporting goods store you know you open at nine a.m. you close at nine p.m. and people trickle all in during the day, if you're in the restaurant business. You open at 11 a.m., 
And so from 11.30 to 1, that's your one-and-a-half-hour window where you can make money. And then from about 6.30 to 8 for dinner, you got about an hour-and-a-half window to do your business. So it's three hours a day in a business that already has very razor-thin margins anyway. And so the thing about the restaurant business, it's based on seating capacity. The first decision a restaurateur makes before he goes into business, how many seats am I going to have? How many times can I turn those seats? And what's my average check? Everything's based on seats. The management budget, the loan payment to the bank, the rent payment to the landlord, everything. And so when you cut 50%, now I'm not arguing not to cut. I mean, you know, uh, it's a whole different issue. If, if, if the health folks feel like we need to be at 50%, then, then that's where we are. I'm not arguing that point at all. I'm just giving you the reality that if you are at 50% seating capacity and you've got that three-hour window to do it, just the business model just doesn't work. And so people can do that for a month or two, but that's 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 about all. And I'll tell you that right. a friend of ours and a, a man who's in the uh, – food service business in a huge way, manufacturing uh, poultry, uh, and I were talking, and he was having to, you know, he was talking about he's spending millions of dollars to retrofit three of his plants, I think two in Texas, one in Georgia, uh, from to go from food service or restaurants to uh, commercial, uh, to retail, which is grocery stores. And so the you know the chicken lines all have to be retrofitted and changed because it's understood in his industry that 160,000 restaurants will close as a result of this thing. And so that's what got me motivated. Uh, back in March, I was asked to be a part of a group called the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which uh, we just formed in March, and uh, they put me on the leadership of this thing. It's a bunch of heavy hitters in the restaurant business and chefs and and, and me for some reason, but. But we, um, within the first meeting or two, they asked if he might knew a congressman or senator. I said, "Well, I'm, I'm good friends with uh, Senator Wicker, and and so he and I and a, and a guy named Rob Murray, who works, uh, he's his legislative director, who's a saint. Uh, we've worked and put together what is called the Restaurants Act. You may have seen uh, Morgan Freeman just cut a. Uh, a commercial about the Restaurants Act that Senator Wicker has introduced this thing. If we can get it passed, it will save the restaurant industry, period. And, you know, he's chairman of commerce, and so he was also part of the original PPP. And if you look at uh, Mississippi senators over the years, whether you had Eastland, I mean, we have we have had some powerful senators who have, who have affected uh, in a positive way this country in a lot of ways. You had you had Eastland, who was chairman of judiciary. You had uh, Stennis, who was chairman of armed services. You had Trent Lott, who was majority leader. Thad, uh, who was uh, uh, appropriations, appropriations chair. Yeah. But of all of those, and long, long serving, of all of those, I don't think any have affected the country in a more positive way than Senator Wicker has done uh, as chairman of commerce in helping businesses uh, not only 
uh, with the uh, initial part of that bill, but what he's doing to, I mean, you, you're talking about 10 million people that are that are affected by this Restaurants Act. So there's a there's a congressman in the House named Earl Blumenhauer, who's a Democrat from Oregon. He introduced companion legislation over in the House, has bipartisan support, um, and uh, and so we're trying to get this thing passed. It will uh, it will save restaurant PPP was good and and it it helped. I mean, we wouldn't be here today had we not uh, taken advantage. Of, we took advantage of it at two restaurants and not at the other two, but. It was just the first part of the bridge because it's going to be a long road back for restaurants. And, you know, we're we're partially open in this part of the world, but Chicago, New York, you know, all of those big cities, I mean, they they, they won't open this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of obviously we've got to get control of the virus, we've got to do a vaccine or whatever, but there's also a psychological component. And yeah. to me, that's been one of the cruelest things about the virus altogether besides the death toll and people getting sick is the fact that all the things that we love to do as human beings, and that would be getting close together in bars and restaurants or at football games or anything mm-hmm. else, have been taken away from us. And yeah. um, I think we will get back to that, but you're right. There has to be some kind of lifeline to get us from A to Z, when, wherever that Z is. Uh, in the meantime, and, so this this does sound like a good plan. Yeah, and we're 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 blessed. I mean, we Purple Parity Branch closed uh, for yeah. you know in March. We uh, we served our last meal at the Purple Pair, not knowing it was going to be our last meal forever. And uh, that just didn't feel right. And so a few weeks ago, I met with my folks. I said, you know what we need to do? We need to um, – because my folks wanted some closure too. I mean, all our team members. And so we reopened the parrot for uh, for what was going to be a final week, and we ended up adding two days. And it was one of the best – I told somebody the other day, it was like – you, you ever go to one of those funerals and, you know, the guy's dead, but, but it's like a celebration and people are laughing and, you know, it's one of the, that's what it was like. It was, it was fun. It was, it was, people came in, I had people drove from Dallas. We, people came in from five states uh, to have a final meal at the Purple Parrot and a uh, uh, little news there. I've been working on a Tex-Mex concept for about the last three years that I was going to do in another location. And when, when all this happened in March, I said, you know what? The Purple Pair is just not a business model that's going to work going forward. I'll just put the Tex-Mex there. It's got a huge outdoor area that we're going to be doing. But there is a portion of the restaurant in the back that used to be the old prep area, old dry storage uh, when we first opened, that we built a new kitchen. It's just been storage. I am recreating the Purple Pair dining room in that space. Same, I'm going to bring White's uh, artwork back there, the same panel walls, sconces, everything. It'll be smaller, a more intimate space. It will be a private dining area, but three nights a month, the first Thursday, Friday, Saturday of every month, we're going to do a Purple Parrot pop-up in there with a chef's tasting menu, wine pairings. It'd be a more intimate reservations only type thing. And so it's a little, I came up with that idea actually as we were planning uh, this kind of farewell tour, you know, it's was, it was, it was like one of my kids. It was a very personal thing to me. It was the first restaurant I opened. I mean, it's older than my kids. My kids are 23 and 19. This this concept's 32, so it'll it'll still be here on a on a limited basis. But this Tex-Mex thing's gonna be really cool too. So I'm excited about what's good. The world changes, Marshall. You know, the world changes, yeah. and we got we got to change with it. You can't just you know sit still and 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 you know, feel sorry for yourself 
and say, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me. That's not that's not doing anything to, you know, help help feed the family members of the the people who uh, depend on me and the decisions I make to, you know, make a living. So we're we're moving forward and trying to live in the solution. We're talking with restaurateur, businessman, author, entrepreneur, Robert St. John. If you'd like to join the conversation here in our last two or three minutes, well, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You know, and I think you touched on something really important. If you'd have gotten in the fetal position in March when you saw this coming, then your 300-something employees would have would have been gone hungry. I mean, you, you jumped on it. You You basically... What advice would you give other business owners, and what have you learned from this whole experience? Um, well, again, I said it a minute ago: live in the solution. You got—I mean, you—you've yeah. got to be aware of the problem, but you can't dwell on the problem. The the problem yeah. uh, is not going to get you. The problem is here, and so you've got to just live in the solution. What can I do to move forward to do this? And and you know some. Unfortunately, some things like Purple Parrot, uh, Midtown Donut is not reopened right now. One of my other concepts, and you know, but but you know, we're working toward. I'm doing the Tex-Mex thing, and the others just gotta you gotta work and move forward and and live in the solution. There's you know, everybody has a different solution that uh, pertains to whatever their business is, wherever they're located, and all those things. But but there are solutions, and you know. Um, that's I just have to keep positive and um and, and optimistic and you know it it's it's probably easy to to get down and feel sorry for yourself and, and I probably have a tendency to maybe a bent to kinda of go that way. I just can't let myself do that because it's not gonna there are too many people that depend on the decisions I make to, you know, feed their family. I know I think about Admiral Stockdale in Vietnam and the Stockdale principle basically you know, he said that the people that came in and said, oh, things are all going to be great by Christmas and, you know, da, 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 da. They were usually the first ones that died. And, and okay. he, he said, you know, take take the situation you're in and be realistic about it, but know that you're going to get through it. And that sounds exactly what yeah. like what you're doing right now. Yeah, I don't I don't think God gives us more than we can handle in a day. We're going to you know, trust on the spiritual end of things, too. So. Hey, before we hang up, I want to make sure because I heard Carol Puckett in the uh, during the break uh, wish uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting a 50th uh, anniversary or 50th birthday there. So I I, I wanted to uh, to wish that. Well, that was that's um, that's good stuff. Um, you know, as part of the I guess uh, I'm I'm the redheaded stepchild of, of of Mississippi oh, Public Broadcasting with our TV show, but. Uh, <laughs> We're um, we're we're happy. We're, it's a good service, and you do you do good stuff for the state of Mississippi on several levels, Marshall. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I've been proud to know you for a long time, and and just have marveled at all the good things you've done for the state, from serving mm-hmm. on the Arts Commission board for all those years, and and promoting Mississippi like you have. And I was going to ask, with us not being able to travel quite like we are, our what's what's the status on the TV show? Um, well, on March 12th, uh, we were headed to Spain to film season six in Spain, and that will happen in 2021. So uh, the, the next uh, season, we, we had just finished filming, uh, I think it was season five, where we did Rome, Amalfi, and Naples. And, and so uh, season six is coming, and we've got more shows and stuff in the works. So 
you know, Look miles to go before we sleep. Real quick. Yeah, throw out your website real quick, Robert, and then we're going to close. Thanks for being on today, by the way. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, robertstjohn.com. Check us out. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, See you, buddy. Guest, Robert St. John, for joining us today. If you missed our live program, you can listen to the whole show on Now You're Talking at mpbonline.org. And, of course, uh, Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. It's produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell is coming up next. Have a great week and stay safe. 